Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. And the title of the message is, Thank God for the Word of God. And you're probably looking at that passage and you're like, hmm? How would he come up with that? Thank God for the Word of God. The Bible says all Scripture is breathed out by God. You have the Word in your hand because God gave it to you. He made sure we had what we need. And the Word, what it does, I'm going to try to show in this text, is the Word gives us hope in a world that's full of despair. The Word helps us know God in a world that ignores Him. The Word of God helps and guides us in a world that is committed to doing its own thing. God gives us what we need. I wonder if there's anybody here who knows that you have a thoughtful God, a God who thinks of you. And the thing I want you to do, the thing I want you walking away with today is I want you going out saying, thank God for the word of God. Because here's the thing, the word of God gives us hope beyond this life. It proves that the resurrection is is true. Verse 27 says, there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us, if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, that man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brothers. Now there are seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, so given all that we've said, given this ridiculous scenario that we've put before you. Therefore, whose wife will the woman be for the seven had her? In this chapter, from sort of 19 all the way through, Jesus just keeps running into people who try to trap him, who try to make him look bad, and now the Sadducees are up. And these guys were the rich, the rich brothers, rich and sophisticated, and you could tell also very skeptical. Text says they denied, verse 27, the resurrection. For them, you live, you die, and you're done. That's how they thought about life. You only get one shot at this. And don't you know a lot of people in your culture who think like this, who live this way? And when this is your mindset, you know how quick it is to become very hopeless? If you live, you die, you're done, then what's the point? The other way it affects some people is if you live, you if you live. You die and then you're done. You're like, I just got to try to get everything I can out of this life. I'm just going to pursue the wrong thing and end up with nothing. You see, the way you should think about it is you live, you die, you're done, and then it starts again. The end is actually the beginning. Oh, I'm getting poetic and none of you are saying anything. You li- yeah, that's right. Victor's with me. See, they try to mock the resurrection by bringing up 
what is called the Leverite marriage. In, in Deuteronomy 25, 5, it says, if, a, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as wife and perform the duty of a, of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. It was just to, it was to keep the line, the name going. And so for them, they're like, if, if this question cannot have an answer, then the resurrection can't be true. So they're like, when they're like, who's, who's, Whose uh, wife is she? They're thinking he can't answer the question. And so they're like, it proves our point. Look at verse 34, though. And Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain the age of the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore. Because they're equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So Jesus goes at them and he makes a couple things really clear that the afterlife is not like this life. If you, if you were sort of, you ever mark your Bible, you want to notice that he says this age and that age. It's a contrast. The afterlife is not like this life. There is no death, so there's no need for marriage. See, marriage was given to preserve the human race. It was also, and so if nobody dies, we don't need any more people, right? Marriage is also given to display a picture of Jesus and the church, but you'll be with Jesus, so you don't need it anymore. So what you got to understand about marriage is it's temporary. It's temporary. So here's how to think about it. Enjoy it. Protect it. Put time into it. Don't idolize it, though. It's temporary. Here's a couple ways that you might be idolizing marriage when you shouldn't. We're trying to do anything to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I put on my good shirt to tell you all this. <laughs> You're just constantly asking people out. You're ignoring signs and in, 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 in you're thinking, I'm, I'm, I might marry this person, but you see some things, some real flags in their life, but you're ignoring those things because you're like, I just got to have this. Well, here's another one. We think that being in it will solve all our problems. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. Come on. Let me get through this. We exalt it as the ultimate gift instead of just seeing it as one of God's good gifts. It's just one. Here's this next one. We're tempted to ignore what Scripture says about who we should marry. I want it so bad that I'm ignoring the fact that the Bible says I should only marry another believer, but I'm considering marrying an unbeliever. Here's this next one. It's not just the people outside who struggle. Some who are inside. When we get into it, we withdraw from people who are not in it. Ooh, I got this thing now. I don't need anybody else. When we're in it, we act like we've arrived and we look down on other people. Oh, you're not married? I am. Prideful. Now you're thinking there, you're like, I got a couple questions, Omar, a couple questions. If I have the desire to be married, should I just push that desire away and just, mm, 
No. No. You should, if you want it, prayerfully pursue it with the right perspective. That is a temporary gift that God gives sovereignly when he is ready. You got, there's, you got to, we got to understand this. If God has something for you in your life, if this thing is coming for you, there's nothing you can do to stop it, but there's also nothing you can do to speed it up. And so we hope, we, if God has this for me, he's going to give it to me. If God chooses not to give it to me, I have to, and I'm not saying this to be hurtful to those who are not married. Please understand this. I'm just saying we have to trust that God knows what is best. And sometimes the thing that I think I want and need so bad, God withholds because he's like, if I gave that to you, you would ruin your life. And so I know better. Next question. If I'm married, will I have no relationship with the person that I'm married to? You know, is it going to be like this brain wipe? Are we going to get to the afterlife and remember nothing? No. You will know each other. Me and Kim were talking about this a little bit. I'm like, honestly, like, I still want to know you, girl. We will know one another. We will, we will be in those relationships. But I don't know exactly how it will look, but what I do know is that it will be better. I read this this week, and I wanted to share it. Some believers who are happily married in this age may feel disappointed if marriage is not an item in the age to come. We really like our spouses and can hardly conceive life without them. But we ourselves also need to be aware of making false assumptions. We should assume that the age to come will be more, not less. Hence, close relations in this age will surely, in some way, we will surely in some way enjoy an even deeper intimacy and a far higher joy than in the current, uh, currently given mode of this age. We can be sure that the Lord will not use that age to deprive us. It'll look different, but it'll be better. This next one. People in that age will be worthy, worthy of that age. Look at verse 35. It says, but to those who are considered worthy to, to attain the age. What makes them worthy? What makes a person worthy? It's your faith in Jesus Christ. When you trust in Jesus, his righteousness is given to you, and that's what makes it you worthy of that. But here's the flip side of this. If some are worthy... It means some are excluded. So when I put my faith in Jesus, I get his righteousness, and I, and I attain the age of the resurrection. But when I reject Jesus, when I choose not to, it means I'm excluded from that place of joy and the presence of God. The people there will experience full life in the family of God. It says, for, verse 36, for they cannot die anymore. Because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. You are, we are sons and daughters now. But when we get to the age of the resurrection, we will have the full experience of what that is. We only know that on some level. But you're going to have the full experience of it. And so you got to think about this. Hope is not just about where you're going. You should be full of hope because of what you will be when you get there. Sons and daughters glorified. You got to think about this. Everything right. You won't need another health check. 
You're not going to be in a place anymore where you're like, I got to check the news to see what, what bad stuff went on last night. Everything will be right and work right. Think about this. Sons and daughters, redeemed fully, sin gone. What does that mean? You're not going to be involved in any more complicated relationships. I've got to try to figure this person out. All will be right. Verse 37, he says, but, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and, and the God of Jacob. Now you got to realize, all of these guys are dead. He says, now he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Jesus is like, you might think those guys are dead, but they're actually alive to God. And if they're alive, the resurrection is true. Leon Morris says, the alternative is to think of God as the God of some non-existent existent beings, which is absurd. Yeah. Again, that's why Jesus says, all live to him. You gotta, you gotta realize, this chapter is full of people who are just challenging Jesus, trying to trap Jesus. They come at, they come at him about his ministry. Who are you to cleanse the temple? Then they come at him about politics. They're like, should we pay tribute? And now they come at him about theology. And what do you notice? Jesus beats them like Phil on the drums. What I'm trying to show you is you follow a king who can't lose. And also when you look at what Jesus is doing in this chapter, he's also giving you a picture of what it means to be a healthy, good disciple. You need to engage in ministry, participate in the life of the church. You need to be a good citizen. I talked about that last week. Politics, right? Vote. Clean up your, I don't know, I'm making stuff up. Clean up your yard. Look after your neighborhood. Engage. Be someone who, when people look at you, they're like, that, that person is a good citizen. Here's the other one. You need to know your theology. Doesn't Jesus? He knows his theology, and then he's applying it to life. Balanced disciple, a little bit of everything. Engaged on all levels. We want to thank God for the word of God. Scripture helps us know God well. It shows that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 40, 41. I'll go back up to 39. It says, then some of the scribes, answered him, teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dare to ask him any questions. But he said to them, how can they, and the they here is the scribes, because now they're up, right? People just keep coming at Jesus. Here's another group. How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how, can the, how, how is he his son. See, that the scribes, they're like, Christ is David's son, and they'd stop there. That's all they would say. And Jesus here is showing them, oh, no, 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 you got to go, go further than that. I'm, I'm more than that. And so what this verse does is it presents two ideas. What it's called, the smart guys that I was reading this week, one of them said, it's a rhetorical argument that shows how two ideas relate to each other without denying each other. And so it's a rhetorical argument. And so what Jesus is saying to them is he's like, yes, I am from the line of David. That is true. 
but I'm also David's Lord. I'm more than what you are saying. Thabini Anabwili says, Jesus helps them understand that King David eavesdropped on a divine conversation between the Father and the Son. David calls them both Lord. If David calls Christ Lord, then how could David be greater? He's not, and he knew it. Their king was willing to write about the king of kings and say he's more than me. Here it is. Jesus is greater because he existed before David. Verse 42, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. What you got to realize is this is a conversation between the father and the son that took place before David even took a baby step. And so what he's doing is he's writing something prophetic that ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater because he's reigning over all. Says the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What you got to understand here, Jesus is in Jerusalem. The cross is before him. He's going to be nailed to it. He's going to be hung on it. He's going to die. And they're going to put him in a grave. But what did you just sing not too long ago? Death could not hold him. What was it? Death could not hold him down. See, David died and lost the throne. Jesus lives, and he's on it. And so he's the Lord because he's reigning over all. And because he lives, here's, here's, you're like, how does this touch me? Because he lives, you will live. One of my favorite scenes in the gospel is like, Peter, I, we're going to get to this eventually. He denies Jesus. And then a couple people, they're like, we saw Jesus. And Peter is on a boat and it says the brother jumped off the boat and he ran. He ran. To, he, he's like, I got to see the king. Peter knew that if Jesus is alive, everything changes. He, if he lives, you will Live. You're going to sing after this, He's My Living Hope. I know you love that song. <laughs> Honestly, every time we sing it, me and Shay on in the back, we're like, mm, we just got to roll that one out. It's just easy. <laughs> right? You're, you're doing service planning and Living Hope comes up. And we're like, all right, see you next week, bro. We're all good. Because you love this. Why? Because it's true. He's your li- Jesus is alive. You live. You will live because he lives. And one day, you got to understand, all will bow to him people who love him, and the people who oppose him. That's why the text says his enemies will be his footstool. He has won the victory. And so you need to like get on the bus or you're going to miss out. Jesus is greater. Here it comes. Because he's the one figure you cannot ignore. Jesus is the one figure in history you cannot ignore. He says in verse 44, 44, David calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And he just, he just kind of walks away. And what Jesus is doing is he's leaving them with this question. He's like, you got to think about that. They've got to ponder their position on the king. And what you realize here is this text shows you every single person in the world has to make a decision about Jesus. 
You can't ignore Jesus. In chapter 9, Jesus looks at his disciples and all these people are saying stuff about him. They're saying this, they're saying that, and whatever it is. And he sits them down and he goes, but who do you say that I am? Jesus looks at them, he says, it doesn't matter what everybody is saying. It doesn't matter what the culture is saying. It doesn't matter what your friends are saying. It doesn't matter what your boss is saying. It doesn't matter what that skeptic on the news is saying. It doesn't matter what they're saying in that novel. What matters is, what do you say? When it comes to Jesus Christ, what's the word that you give? Is it a, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm still thinking about it. I'll get to that church thing a little bit later. I'll deal with that, you know, next week. Mm, I don't know. Or is it a hard, when, it, when somebody looks at you and says, who is Jesus Christ? Do you look at them and you say, he is my Lord and he is my Savior? He, not just my Lord, he is your Savior. He is the king that we need. And he has come. He has given his life for you. Are you, do, are you clear on Jesus? Have you made a settled decision about Jesus? Because here's the thing. The people who make a settled, committed decision about Jesus Christ, the text says they are worthy to attain the age of the resurrection. That means if you make the wrong decision about Jesus, if you choose to sit on the fence about Jesus and never come to that settled position, You are going to miss out on the age of joy and glory. So don't you ever sit there and think, oh, it doesn't matter what I think about Jesus. It doesn't matter that I haven't made a decision about Jesus. I'm still thinking about that. Today is the day to make the the right and final decision because when you do, you are in. And if you have made the decision, then you've got to be courageous enough to look at the people who are in your life, who you love, who God has brought in your circle of influence and look at them and tell them, I love you enough to tell you that today you cannot sit on the fence anymore because this age is not the only age. I was driving here and I was saying to Kim, honestly, if you read the text closely, look how many times the word death is mentioned. You die, you die, this person died, this husband died, that person died, then the woman died. Truthfully, you could call the age that you're living in the age of death. Because death is guaranteed. I'm not yelling at you, I'm trying to tell you the truth. You're going to die. And go back to what I said at the beginning. You got all kinds of people who are like, I'm going to die, so whatever, I'm just going to go at it, and I'm not going to think about anything. The fact that you live in the age of death should be sobering to you and to everybody who's around you. Because this is the age of death, but the next age is the age of life. And the reason why you need to make a settled decision about Jesus Christ is because we want to be a part of that age of life, enjoying the joy and the blessing of it. And you need to be kind enough to look at the people who are around you, who are outside, to say, I want you in it. I don't want you to miss out on joy. Because if you miss out on joy, it means you're going to be experiencing misery. you got to be honest. And so it's the most important decision you can make in your life. Make the right one. 
and then love the people around you enough to tell them to do the same. Jesus is Lord and Savior. The skeptics are like, I don't know. Jesus made it clear. Here's this last one. Thank God for the word of God. The scriptures guide us each day. It tells us what to watch out for. It tells us what to watch out for. My Bible pages flipped. Here we are. It says, verse 32, 45, sorry. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to the disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogue and the place of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Notice this is like a command, right? The command is beware. Beware of what? Beware of pride. That's what the, te- the Bible tells There's lots of things the Bible tells you to watch out for. In this text, it tells you to watch out for pride. That thing that can show up in anybody's life. What? I said a couple weeks ago, pride, what? It's like the common cold. We all kind of catch it sometimes. And here's some of the ways it shows up in our life. When we crave attention and public praise. When we crave attention, notice that it says that the, 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 the scribes, they love when you hail them up. They love the, they're like, yes, all right, I'm, I'm somebody. They love greetings in the marketplace. They, they love the VIP seats. It says they walk around in long robes and love greetings and the best seats in the synagogue. They're like, oh yeah, that one there, that's mine, brother. You got to move. The be- and, then they, and then they love fancy food. Did you catch it? The best seats in the synagogue and the place of honor at the feast. They're like, there's a cookout tomorrow, I'm going. They love all that. They think there's some, these are the kind of guys that, you know, at the Raptor game, they're not in the, you know, they're not in the upper bowl. The floor seats for these brothers. That's, they love, they love it. And here's the thing. They've forgotten that love and public praise is like a bird. You just never know when it's going to fly away. Think about it. People love you one day, and then the next day you don't matter. Why do you think sometimes, don't you see sometimes celebrities, they're always trying to do something to like creep back into your consciousness? Because what, honestly, when the shine goes off, they're like, well, what should I do now? The only thing that gave me significance was people were showing up to my shows. But now I don't have a number one hit. The album's old. What, what should I do? Because they like you one day, and then the next day, you don't matter. That's why spending your life chasing public praise and acclaim is a waste of time. Because here's the thing. You might not matter to people, but you matter to God. And God's love is unchanging. You matter to God today, and you'll matter to God tomorrow. And so you're like, I don't need to chase the love of people because I have the love of God. These brothers have it wrong. Here's this next one. Pride shows up when we pretend to be something we're not. Look at verse 47. It says, 
who devour widows' houses. So widows are like some of the most vulnerable in society. They're supposed to serve them, help them, protect them. And what they're doing is they're, they're using them. They're, supposed, they're helping managing the widows' affairs, but then they're taking a big cut for themselves. So they're frauds. It says, and for pretense, make long prayers. So now they try to hide, they try to hide who they are in fake spirituality. They're like the guy at the prayer meeting that you're like, brother, it's been 45 minutes. <laughs> Phil's sleeping over there. It's time for you to wrap this up. This is, the prayer is too long. Rather than just clear and getting to the point, but they're, 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 they're faking the funk, pretending to be something they're not. And here's the thing. When you fraud the people of God, you will have to face the one who loves them. Notice that Jesus says, they will receive the greater condemnation. The Bible is always very clear, and I, honestly, I was reminded of this this week. Spiritual leaders are held to a way higher standard because we know better. And so Jesus looks and he says, those are, the, those are supposed to be the leaders, but they're fake. They're actually opportunists, and they will receive the greater condemnation. The punishment will be worse for those who are frauding the people of God. Here's a good reminder to pray for your leaders, to pray for us, that we don't go that direction, that we do things the right way. And here's the other thing you got to understand. Hypocrisy does a lot of damage, and it's always seen, right? You can fool people, but you can't fool God. The text says they devour widows' houses. Hypocrisy destroys lives. It destroys homes. It ruins society. We want to be honest, people. Here's this last one. Pride shows up when we ask questions, but we've already drawn conclusions. Rochelle's face is like, hmm? Pride shows up when we've asked questions, but we've already drawn conclusions. And you're like, where is that? See how much, see how quickly you forget stuff? The Sadducees. They came and they said, whose wife is she? But the text says, they denied the resurrection. So they asked Jesus a question, but their minds are already made up. It's pr- See, people who ask questions like that, they're not interested in learning. They're actually just trying to prove that they're right. And so they ask a question, but they've already made up their minds. And when you do that in your life, when you ask somebody a question, but you've already drawn conclusions about them or about the situation, do you know what you do? You cause all kinds of conflict and hurt people. It's prideful and it's full of assumptions. We want to be people who ask honest and humble questions. You know why? When you do that, you learn something. They learned, didn't they? Oh, we thought the resurrection wasn't true. Oh, I don't know. Maybe go home and think about that. You learn something. When you ask an honest question, uh, you help a person see something they might be missing. Sometimes we do need to ask questions. Right? But we need to ask them in a way that you're like, this is, this is an honest one, and I think you might be missing that. And so I'm humbly presenting it to you because I'm trying to help you. And when you ask questions like that, you actually end up clearing up confusion. We've talked about marriage 
You know, think about marriage, think about your friendships, think about your workplace. Think about the difference it would be. Sometimes you're like, there's all kinds of conflict going on in these situations. And what is it when you look at it? It's a whole bunch of people who've already drawn conclusions. And so they're talking to one another, but there's this settled idea. This is what I think it is. Right? Some marriages are real messy because that's, that's all that's going on. I'm asking you a question, but I've already settled in my mind. Some workplace relationships are real bad because you got a boss who's like, they're asking you a question, but they've already settled some things in their minds. Some friendships, they fall apart because these two people look at each other and they're asking a question, but they're already settled in their mind about what it is. And the Bible says that is actually very prideful. And we want to be people who are humble, who say, I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to know. And I'm doing this because they're trying to make this relationship and this situation and this thing right. You want to thank God. Sanjay, you can come now if you want. We want to thank God for the word of God. Because the word of God tells us that there's more life to come. It tells more life. One reggae artist said it like that, right? More life. There's more life to come. It also tells us that life in this age is not like that age. You're going to something completely different, restored, renewed, made right. And here's the last thing, here's the last reason why you want to give thanks for the word of God. The word of God helps us live in this age as we were wait on that age to come. I was in a shop this week and this guy said to me, his name's Diego. He, every week I see him, he talks to me and he goes, uh, Marv, what do, you, what do you say? He always asks me this question. I think I've said this before. He's like, Marv, what are you saying to the church this week? And this time I wasn't annoyed. You know? <laughs> it's in a good spot. And I said, I want to say to the church, you need to realize and see how much the word of God does for you. Remember, I started with thank God for the word of God. I want you to see how much the word of God does for you. And he's like, oh, I know why. And I was like, why? He's like, you want them to read it more. And I was like, yes. Yes. And here comes the challenge. Because some of us, if we're honest, you haven't been in it. And so you're not as hopeful as you should be. Some of us, we are in it. We're not all failing, and you're full of hope. We'll be a source of encouragement to a brother and sister and turn around and say, hey, I think you need to get in the Word. He's like, you want them to read the Word more? Yes, I do. Because when we read the Word, and you're like, some, in some of the most boring places, you find the most surprising things. Trust me. You find when you read the word from the beginning to the end, and you're like, ah, I don't love reading. Listen to it. There's, you know, your Bible app, it plays, right? You find yourself being hopeful. When you read the word, you also find yourself being wise. It gives you wisdom for how to live in this age as you wait on that age. When you read the word, you also find yourself growing in humility. And so that's the aim. We're waiting on the age to come, but God has given you what you need to survive in this one and to be wise in this one. And so one of the best ways that you can say, thank God for the word of God is by picking up 
his word and saying, God, thank you. Speak to me. I need hope. I need wisdom. And I want humility because I know those things please you. Let's pray. God, we pray and give you thanks that this is not the end. That as we sung in the song, we know how the story ends. We will be with you again. God, we give you thanks for songs like Living Hope that we can sing that are not, they're not lies, they're just true. That we have a living hope, that there's never a moment here where we can live without hope. Jesus is alive. The age of the resurrection is true. And God, we give you thanks for our faith in you because we know we will be there, we will experience it, and it'll be joyful. I pray you'd help us to crawl into the scriptures this week and in the weeks to come to find the hope we need, the wisdom we need, the humility we need, to live wise, to live in God-glorifying ways in this age as we wait for that age to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.